All right, so uh, Matt is preaching today out of the text in John chapter 10, uh, verses 22 through 30. Um, I'm going to read, and I'm going to say thanks be to Christ, and you guys will move on from there. All right. I and the Father are one. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Christ. Good morning. My name is uh, Corey uh, Garrett, and... If my face isn't familiar, it's because we're not usually here. We are members of the barn. This is our home uh, church, but we spend most of our time in Senegal and West Africa helping people understand more about Jesus and experience his love in different ways. We're here for a month uh, doing some paperwork for our boys who we just uh, recently adopted. We're heading back to Senegal on Tuesday. Uh, I'm not here to talk about that today. We're here to talk about Jesus. We're in John 10. Starting with verse 22 that Shayla just read. This is a passage or a, or, or a section of John where John is painting Jesus as the party crasher. Uh, Jewish festival after Jewish festival, Jesus shows up and basically ruins what's happening and puts all the attention on himself rather than what's going on in the temple. Uh, he's been engaging the Jewish leaders in these kind of debates and making them look silly. And they have really, like, had it up to here with this situation. And so they said, next festival, we, we're not going to let this happen. We're going to figure out how to stop this, how to nip this thing in the bud. So the next festival that comes up is the festival of dedication, the Feast of Dedication, which we call Hanukkah today. And they are ready. Before, uh, you know, Jesus can get a bunch of people around him, they corner him. And they encircle him. And... They are ready for him. They're trying to get him in trouble. The word that uh, John uses here to describe how the uh, Jewish leaders encircle Jesus is the same word that is used elsewhere in the New Testament to describe the armies that would uh, besiege Jerusalem encircling the city to destroy it. Um, And the words that... We have rendered traditionally, how long will you make us doubt? In the ESV it says, how long will you keep us in suspense? Literally in Greek, our Greek scholars tell us, I I do not figure among them, the Greek scholars, but they tell us that literally it means, how long will you take away our life? So one of our uh, Greek scholars, they say that uh, a good translation of that phrase could be, how long will you annoy us to death? If you are the Christ, tell us. So these are not seekers. These are enemies. These are not people who are asking, are you really the Christ? These are people who are trying to trap Jesus and get something they can use against him in a court of law, uh, court uh, the, the Sanhedrin there, and then they want to put him to death. And eventually, obviously, they, they succeeded. Have you ever 
been in a situation, an exchange, maybe it was on Facebook, maybe it was face-to-face where you were in a confrontation about your faith and you were in one of these palm, sweaty, heart-conning situations. That's what Jesus was in. He was in a situation where it was fight or flight. And he did something that we don't usually do. What we usually do, obviously, is we, we, we flight, we fly. We, it's fight or flight and we do the flight thing. We disengage. We say, well, that's fine. It doesn't really matter. Uh, what you believe is fine. What I believe is not really that important. Or we get defensive and we get sarcastic and contemptuous. But really, honestly, it's more often the flight reaction that we have. Now, in the U.S. and especially New England, uh, we so often can experience confrontation that even in situations that have not actually gotten to confrontation level, we often fly away from them before we even get there. We're so scared of getting into a confrontation that we already back off. We disengage. We don't share who we really are. Now, Jesus has this difficult exchange, but he doesn't fight. He doesn't do the fight thing. He doesn't do the flight thing. What are our takeaways? What can we observe from how Jesus does this confrontation that we can use? How can we use this as we encounter people who are outrightly hostile or, on the other hand, are just indifferent to our talk about the God who became man and died on the cross? So I have four things that I want to talk about today that I think can help us. One, Jesus doesn't run away. Two, Jesus stands on the record of his words. Three, Jesus stands on the record of his works. And four, Jesus searches for his sheep. So the first thing. Jesus doesn't run away. He doesn't soft pedal what he's saying. He doesn't say, I think I'm the Christ, but if you don't think I'm the Christ, that's okay. That's for you. He doesn't uh, promote a weak pragmatism that just says, basically, whatever you want to believe is fine. Uh, he doesn't say, well, it's just a matter of perspective. We're really saying the same thing using different words. No. He doesn't soft pedal his message. He doesn't water it down. We, too, when we are faced with a chance to speak about Jesus... We mustn't back away. We must speak the truth in love. Uh, not going along with the lie that says, my beliefs don't really matter. Now, there's a difference in questioners. There's some people that are really oppositional and some people that are seekers. And you see how Jesus responds to them. There's always encouragement to go farther. There's always a, uh, a challenge to go farther. And, but his attitude toward those two different groups is different. And we should have uh, a similar Tenderness to those who are seeking, but, but not back away from a challenge. Speaking the truth in love. Second thing is that Jesus, in verse 25 here, uh, he stands on the record of his words. Jesus answered them and says, I told you and you do not believe. He doesn't just start now saying, well, I'm the Christ. He says, look at all that I've done. I have a record to stand on. I, you know, I ha- it's not like I just showed up here. He says, I'm the bread of life. I said recently, I'm the bread of uh, life. I'm the light of the world. I am before Abraham. I'm the good shepherd. How much clearer does he have to be? Now, as we think about our lives, are we as clear about what we believe so that when we get into these kind of confrontations or we have a chance to talk to somebody about Jesus, we say, well, look at what we've said last week, week before that. Do we ever say anything that the average secular person would disagree with? Uh, Do we just blend into the prevailing culture uh, that says that basically honestly held religious beliefs are just an embarrassment? As you think about this question for yourself, if your answer is that I really don't have kind of a record of words that I can build on as I have a confrontation with somebody, 
um, you know, it, it's a time to say, um, if I'm the one that's in this situation, if I'm the one that's in this person's life, and I'm not putting myself out there, how are they going to hear? Who's going to be? So, if we're open about who we are when we have an comp- opportunity to speak, then we'll, we'll be able to build on that when we have a conversation. I, I know in our, in our experience in Senegal, we, we know that if we wait some time before we bring up Jesus, or we wait some time before we bring up the fact that we're religious people, we pray, we believe in God, um, when we do start bringing it up, people feel manipulated. They feel like there's been a bait and switch and they, they don't respond as well. If from day one, we're going in there and they tell us about their problems and we say, can I pray for you? Then it's much easier for us to, when more confrontational issues come up, to really stand on the record of our words. And I believe it's the same in New England. Third is that Jesus stands on the record of his works. Now, in John, as we read uh, through the gospel to this point, to chapter 10, there's been miracles, there's been healings, there's been acts of mercy. Um, so uh, those works, uh, you, you look at what he's been saying, I'm the bread of life, and you look at his works, he's healing people, they go together. And that's integrity. He's showing and he's telling. Later in the same conversation, Jesus says, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them... Even though you don't believe me, believe in the works. Now, I hope that you're not writing in your uh, notes, I should, do be, I should be doing more miracles. I'm not saying that. Uh, miracles often do accompany uh, early stages of belief in an individual's life or uh, in a big change in terms of salvation history. There's a bunch of miracles. Uh, leaving room for the possibility there, that miracles would happen in our day and in our lives here, even in Connecticut, Um, It's not something that we see all the time. But there should be healings in our midst as we think about what kind of works can authenticate our words. Uh, we uh, We should see people getting healed or people getting healed from their spiritual blindness. They see things that they didn't see before. Are people getting healed from their spiritual lameness? They're being rehabilitated spiritually from old wounds. Are people getting more like Jesus in our midst? Are we caring, are we caring for people who are at the margins of society? Are prostitutes coming out of a life of abuse and into community in our midst? Are widows and orphans experiencing our presence in their lives as a healing balm? Are we giving blood? Are we getting involved with the Chamber of Commerce so people can see, hey, these people care about us? They're acting in addition to talking. That's corporately, but as individuals, how can we have works that authenticate our words. So maybe you're at work, you're working on a project with somebody, somebody does their part, but it's late. Or I I should say, somebody does their part, somebody's supposed to do their part, but it's late. Now you're depending on them. How do you react to this person? Do you you acknowledge their humanity, even as you say, hey, this is going to make it really hard for me. How can we work on this together so we can get this project done? Or do you just yell at them? Are you asking them, well, what's going on in your life that this is happening? I know this isn't like you to have this kind of important project late. Are we at work speaking to the people who serve us, the people who are cleaning up after us, the people who are making the coffee, people who are in food service? 
when I'm done with work, as all I'm thinking about entertainment, as all I'm thinking about leisure, or am I also contributing to the community around me, building into people, encouraging their growth? Uh, here's a big one that we don't see in the surrounding culture. Are we able to say when we're wrong, I'm sorry? Can you say to a coworker at work, you know what? I really got mad at you when you were late with that project, but I, I shouldn't have. I'm sorry. Oh, that is a work that authenticates the words. There is forgiveness, and you can have it. When we do that, when we have works that authenticate the words, we have integrity. When people look at our lives, they can say, this person talks about Jesus, and they also act like Jesus. That's what we want. Now, let me press pause on the sermon a little bit. Come over here. I'm worried that you guys are going to, if I don't say something about how this happens, you guys are going to walk out of here with a heavy to-do list. Oh, now I've got to do works and words, and I've got to have them match up, and I have to, be, I have to show integrity and all this. This is not something that we do so that we get something. It's something we do because we've already got something. Okay, another way of saying it is, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He also said, you're the light of the world. How are we the light of the world? We're the light of the world because he's in us. He's working that in us. He's making us more like him. He's making us into little Jesuses. If you look at this passage, he's not saying, do this, do this, do this. We're looking at his, as his example and we're saying, how can we be like him? How can we grow in Christ-likeness? So this is not something that I'm giving you as a to-do list. I'm revealing to you what Jesus is working already in your life. Now, as we know what Jesus wants to do in our lives, we can work at it better. Are we working on it? Are we, are we putting forth effort in this? Yes, we are. But it's not so that Jesus will love us or so that we can be acceptable, so that we can be loved. It's because we are already loved and, and acceptable that we want to be more like Jesus. All right. Unpause the sermon. That was like a mini sermon for you. You can uh, just note that there. So Jesus acts. And stands on the record of his actions. He speaks and stands on the record of his words. He also searches for his sheep. So in chapter 10, when you start with verse 22, it's a new scene. Earlier in the same chapter, it's a different conversation, but a little bit of the same topic. He introduces this image of himself as the good shepherd. He continues that here. He talks about how these leaders are not among his sheep, but his sheep hear his voice and follow after him. Uh, New Testament scholar Gary Burge relates a story from uh, today's Middle East that illustrates this hearing and following that happens uh, in, during the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. At a certain point in time, there was a locality that wasn't paying their taxes. And so the government said, well, you're not paying your taxes, so we're going to round up all the livestock, put it into a pen, and then we're going to sell it off to pay this area's tax debt. So there was an officer in charge of the livestock, and he was standing there one day, and a widow walks up with her son, and says, you know, according to such and such a law, because this is my only livelihood, I should be able to keep my sheep. And he said, well, look at all these sheep. If you can find and prove that these are your sheep, then you can take them. So the widow's son took out a little flute and started playing a little tune over and over again. Simple tune over and over again. And little sheep heads started popping up around the the sheep in and they started coming forward and started gathering at the door and started making a racket to get out of the door out of the door of the of the pen and be able to follow their shepherd so the widow and the son and their 20 or 25 sheep went home when jesus speaks 
His sheep follow. His sheep know his voice. And they come running. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They hear me playing my tune, if you will. They know me and they come running. With me, they are completely safe forever. Now, in this conversation, if you think about where it started, it's a little bit of a left-hand turn for Jesus to make here. So he's a, the, the leaders are coming. He says, uh, you're annoying the fool out of us here. Are you going to say you're the Christ and like own this thing or what? Now he says, I told you. You didn't believe me. I've, I've shown you. You didn't believe that either. You're not among my sheep. My sheep know my voice. Nothing can stop them from being saved forever, being rescued forever by God. I and the Father are one. Boom! So, if you look at the flow, the I and the Father are one part is totally unnecessary. If you're talking about being the Messiah, that's one thing. If you're talking about you and the Father being one, that is a whole other realm of crazy for the Jewish leaders. So if Jesus had wanted to get off easy, he could have just stuck to the subject at hand. I imagine if I'm a disciple sitting there, I'm like, Jesus, you do not need to do this. Stop. No, go. This is dangerous. But he goes there. Now, why is he doing this? So one possible answer is you can think about, uh, you know, what Jesus was trying to accomplish. He wanted, he was trying to die for us. So he could be, you could say, well, he was provoking the Jewish leadership to get them to the point where they would want to kill him. And that's certainly one possibility. But there's another one, too. He's talking to these enemies. He's face to face with them. They're encircling him. And he's talking about not just the issue they're bringing up. He's saying, I and the Father are one. He's taking this next level. I imagine that as he's doing this, he's looking into the eyes of these enemies. And he's playing his tune, and he's seeing if there's a flicker of recognition. My sheep, or my voice, they will follow me. I and the Father are one. I can see him looking into the eyes and saying, does your heart leap within you when you hear that? As you've heard, even as an enemy, are you Are you moved? Are you, are you hearing something in your heart respond to my voice? He's looking for his sheep among his enemies. He's not saying, I need to get the, out of this with the least amount of emotional turmoil possible. No. He's saying, I'm looking for my sheep and I'm going to find them no matter what. Even if it's dangerous for me, that's what makes him the good shepherd. He searches for his sheep by playing his tune. Letting his voice be heard. Talking about himself. Now, you might think, hey, this is making it easier for them. You might be saying, this is going to make it harder for them to believe in him if he goes to the crazy end of the spectrum about where, who he is. But it's really easier because if you're believing this, what he's saying, I and the Father are one, nobody showed it to you. God is revealing that in your heart. You're not talking somebody into the kingdom. God is going to reach into the heart and reveal this is the truth. This is the truth beyond, uh, behind all the truths. The best way of actually revealing Jesus' sheep is to let the craziness of who he is hang out for everybody to see. If you're a Christ follower, you probably can tell stories of when you were 
story Kim showed, uh, shared earlier is, is perfect. I, what did you say? I, I, I thought they were a little bit weird, but I was kind of intrigued too. That is the sheep hearing the tune that Jesus is playing in the frequency of the Spirit and starting to dance. That's what it looks like right there. You remember, you could tell a story like, I'm sure everybody could tell a story like that. Well, I was here and then I took one step and then another and then another and more confidently I followed the voice because I became aware that he is the shepherd. That voice, I got to know it. Now, some of you are not yet Christ followers. You're here uh, on Sunday, but on Monday morning, you're going to wake up and think, I promised myself I was not going to go back there. How did I end up at church again? I'm trying to quit going to church. Is the, the songs and the preaching thing, is the big cross hanging up there? But when I think about there being a point to this world rather than the meaninglessness we're sold every day. When I think about a true hero who came to rescue us and found the only way he could do it was by sacrificing himself. And when he went through it, that act being so pure and the love so strong that death couldn't hold him. And when you think about being able to be a part of healing others as you've been healed. When you think about him coming back, not as a sacrifice, but as the true king, because he can heal all our hurts and make everything the way it's supposed to be. On Sunday morning, you get up and you come here. Now, you don't understand why completely, and that's okay. You'll never fully understand. But the important thing is to know he is the noble, good king you have been looking for. Jesus searched for his sheep, and we search for his sheep as well. We search for his sheep by letting the crazy hang out. Jesus and the Father are one. Playing his tune so people can respond. If there are none who search for his sheep, how can they hear? Now, as we go around talking about him, playing his tune so others can hear. There's a few things that I want to note. You won't get the results every time. It's not everybody who's going to respond. His sheep aren't all over the place. In Senegal, where we go and we have a guy who really is interested in studying the Bible uh, with us, you know, you have hundreds of guys you've talked to that aren't interested in all, at all. You get either a yawn or some opposition. But knowing they're out there, and knowing that it's Jesus' tune, not how great I am at playing Jesus' tune, knowing that it's Jesus' voice that's going to call them, knowing it's not my methods, knowing it's not how awesome I am, knowing it's not how incredible my uh, ability is to convince people that Jesus is Lord. It's not that. Knowing that they're out there and it's Jesus that's going to call them in gives me confidence. The sheep are here too in Connecticut. It should give you confidence that they're out there just waiting for you to find them. There's also a time factor. People need to hear this a few times. Is just as, again, Kim said, it's a step at a time. It's faltering at first. You get stronger as you go. But don't give up on people. Also, don't clobber people. Don't take this as license to kind of be offensive for offense's sake, but to put the message out even when it is offensive. In and out of season, as Paul said. Now, uh, there's different ways of 
talking about how this works. Um, uh, there's uh, the bad offensive and the good offensive. But in one way of saying it is the bad offensive is when you're attacking and judging. And the good offensive is when it's awkward. When you're talking about your experience, when you're talking about a passage of scripture and it's just a bit uncomfortable. Example, your coworker says, I'm initiating a divorce. Your coworker says she's 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 done with this guy. Uh, she's given him enough chances and she's going to get a divorce. Bad offensive. Now, you know that in the Bible it says you shouldn't get divorced except for adultery. Has he committed adultery? Okay, that's that's the bad offensive. But don't don't write that down. Good offensive. I'm so sorry that things have gotten so bad. I I can't believe that you guys have been married this long, only to give up now, though. Will you do something with me? Pray with me for one month that God would do something different in your marriage. At the end of the month, if you still want to get divorced, then do it. Now, is that awkward? Can you imagine standing in your cubicle with your friend at work and saying, would would you like to pray with me about your marriage for a month? Yes, it's awkward. But you're playing the tune, and if there is some response, you'll know, hey, this is one of Jesus' sheep. You're giving them an opportunity to maybe save their marriage and also come into the kingdom. We so often judge our efforts at evangelism, at, at playing the tune, at telling people about Jesus by whether everybody walks away from the conversation uh, with total emotional equilibrium, if, every, if everybody's still calm. Okay, this is not the standard that we should be uh, uh, seeking to attain. Uh, the real standard is, did I say enough that this person can respond? Did I play the tune enough that they can dance a little bit? Did I say something that they could, if the Spirit's working there, they can come back to me about? Can they respond in some way to what I've said? God is drawing people to himself. This is the, this is the point. God is drawing people to himself. And what, he, what we should do as his followers is draw them out by faithfully proclaiming him in word and deed. What I want to paint for you is a vision of living without fear, of just being who you are, about sharing about what, what, makes, what makes you as a Christian, as a Christ follower, make the decisions that you're making. I recently listened to a sermon by Tim Keller. He said this and sums it up nicely. It's natural, he says, when you're working or living close to someone to talk about what's important, what you dream about in life. Does Jesus help you face your problems? Is Jesus important to you? Does he help you make your decisions? The only way to keep people from knowing you're a Christian is to hide that. So what do people hear from you in your daily conversation? I I remember with some chagrin uh, moment when my youngest daughter, Wheaton, we were having a conversation about something. It would be a better story if I could remember exactly what we were talking about. But she said, Dad, you talk more about superheroes than Jesus. Now, I want to remind you, I'm a full-time missionary. We, we've left Connecticut to go and talk about Jesus to all these people over in Senegal. What do people hear from you? Okay, that, that is the question. What, what are you known for talking about? We should be known for talking about Jesus. Now, how do we play the tune? Uh, there's a bunch of different ways. I just want to give you a couple ideas from what we do in Senegal that can help you brainstorm for your context. The contexts are not the same, but you can... Uh, maybe get some ideas. When people share their problems with us, we pray for them. When people share with their problems, we say, well, can I pray for you? And we haven't had anybody turn us down. We pray for them about 
sickness or maybe they're worried about the rainy season and they're, they're, most of the guys we're working with are farmers. Uh, they're worried about interpersonal problems. Just like everybody, they worry about uh, difficulties with family members and friends. We pray with them about those things. And then we ask follow up on those prayers and how's that going. Uh, we help them in practical ways. Uh, you just, somebody called me not uh, long ago, it was a few months ago now, I guess, and said, my plowing machine just broke and bounced back and cut me on my leg. I'm bleeding. I need you to come get me. So I got in the truck and went and helped. That's a practical way. That's a work that shows I'm a follower of Jesus. He did that kind of thing, help people. I'm doing that kind of thing. We do projects if people have uh, need of them, and we can. And as often as we can, we bring up a Bible story. We just share something from our heart or uh, something that's happened to us. We share something from our uh, quiet time. We also have ways that we've prepared ahead of time and thought through different conversations that we have a lot. And what are the Bible stories that are applicable in these situations? We practice it and we're ready. So with practice... It becomes like second nature. So it's like if we ever get in this situation, we know where we're going. We know what story we can tell to, to help people understand more about Jesus. We play the tune. Now, many people say, well, isn't that nice? And they move on. But some people respond and we can do Bible study with them. One thing we don't do, and I don't, uh, I advise you to do the same, is we don't debate. Well, sometimes the Quran comes up or Muhammad comes up and we just listen politely. Um, it's not really worth it about to, to argue about what they believe. What we want to do is just talk about Jesus. Sometimes uh, guys in Senegal, they'll, they'll uh, tell us a story about a prophet that they've heard, maybe a story from the Koran that's not in the Bible, or a story that one of the religious leaders has, has told that's really just totally not in the Bible at all. And um, so one possible reaction is to say, well, that's not in the Bible. That didn't happen. Okay, is this productive? No, it's not very productive. And I used to do that, but I don't do it anymore. It's just, we're being transparent here. Um, I try to see in that story, is there a principle I can agree with and then follow up on that? Is there some faith that the character exhibited in the story? Great, let's go with it. Is there some, uh, something that God did to provide? Let's go with that. We keep talking. Um, in your context here, topics to avoid might be politics or sexuality and gender or whatever people are going to start to argue about in the next five minutes. Um, an example of how you can kind of roll with the principle is, um, you know, secular people often say, well, we should listen to everybody's story. Everybody's story is just as valid as everybody else's. And then what they're really getting at is there's no real truth. And so everybody's impression is just as valid as anybody else's impression. Now, do I agree with that? No, I don't. But what can I agree with about the statement? We should listen to everybody's stories. Well, everybody was created in the image of God by God. So everybody's story is important. I want to grab onto a principle, something I can agree with, even if it's tangential, and keep going, keep talking. Not debate about this or that or the other thing. As Keller says, none of these things matter if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. What do you think about Christ? Get back to that. Get back to him. If he is who he says he is, then we can figure those things out later. So let me give you some practical application here. Let me give you some idea of how this works out, how I can imagine it working out in, in our lives here, uh, how we can say things that people can respond to and take it further. A friend is frustrated with her kids. They are so bad, and I, I just cannot put up with them anymore. You might say something like, 
I know, man, I get so mad at my kids. And then, you know, the whole discipline plan that I have, you know, the whole plan that I've, you know, developed, I totally lose it and just start yelling at them instead. And I think to myself, I'm just being as bad as these kids are. How does God feel about me when I can't even do what I'm supposed to, what I said to myself, I'm going to do. I feel like God must, be, must, be, must feel the same way about me that I feel about my kids. That's something somebody can respond to. A co-worker is worried about the layoffs that are coming. Your department's on the block and they say, I don't know what I'm going to do if I lose this job. I'm in my early 60s. I, I'm not going to be able to get another job. Say, man, I'm worried too. I don't know what I'm going to do if I lose this job. I don't know what else to do but pray about it. Would you like to pray with me about it sometime? That's something people can come back to you with. Friend's having trouble in his marriage. He says, that woman is so selfish. I cannot put up with her anymore. You could say something like, you know, we were going down that same road too, but our marriage finally started getting better when I started taking seriously what the Bible says about how husbands should treat their wives. Would you be interested in reading a passage like Ephesians 5 with me sometime about that? That's something that somebody can respond to. Now, is this going to be awkward? It is going to be super, super awkward. That's all right. Your goal in life is not to be as not awkward as possible. If that's your goal in life, you're aiming a bit too low. Our aim is to find the sheep. You know, saying that to somebody, that could be act one of their testimony. Somebody, somebody cared enough to say, let's look at the Bible for insight into living. And that got me to know Jesus. That could be the first step to somebody really getting to know Jesus. A friend shares with you her boredom and frustration with life. It seems like it's all for nothing. I work for, but for what? Just to get money? What's it all building to? What would you say? I don't have the answer here. What if you don't know what to say? What if you were feeling the same feelings? What do you know about the Bible and about Jesus that helps you in that situation? If you had that, where would you go? Now, another thing is to... I'm terrible at thinking about the right thing to say at the right time. Uh, it always, like, it's always, you know, the 2 a.m. thing. I, oh, I should have said... So, in these situations, guys and uh, girls, you know, don't be afraid to come back to it later. That's some, something that I've had to kind of work on is... Being able to say, you know, yesterday, you know, two days ago, you know, three days ago, you said something and I've been thinking about it. It's been it's stuck with me. I want to come back to that. I'd like to pray with you about that. Don't be afraid to bring it up later. Don't feel like you have to be like some kind of performance. I know exactly what to say at the right time. You can come back to it later on. It's OK. Now, will these things get you branded as religious freaks? Probably. You may experience some negative consequences. Jesus and his disciples certainly did. But doing these things will get you into the game, will get, give you an opportunity to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. God is drawing people to himself. So we should draw them out by faithfully proclaiming him in word and deed. Not running away, speaking and acting, and by searching for his sheep. We started this out with the leader's question, which was, if you're the Christ, tell us. Jesus said, I told you, I showed you. I'm drawing people to myself. Now, today, here, not as his opponent, but as his friend, as his sheep. Ask him, 
if you are the Christ, if you are really playing your tune so people can hear you and they're coming and, and come to you, show me. Put them to the test, people. Go out there and say just something. Ask somebody that you, if you can pray for them. Share with them what you read in your morning Bible study if it touched your heart. See if he doesn't do something. I told you miracles happen at the beginnings of things. If you start something, I think Jesus is going to show you that he's there. If you are not yet a Christ follower, keep listening. Keep taking those steps, faltering though they may be, in the direction that you hear the noble king calling to you. I want to pray for us. I want to give us a moment of silence and then pray. I want to, during the moment of silence, I want you guys to think about, I pray about, is there somebody in your life that God would have you play his tune for? Is there somebody that God can, in these moments, put on your heart? If you're not a Christ follower, ask for God to speak. Ask for Jesus to speak, to play. Ask to hear that tune so that your heart can hear it and you can take the next steps. Let's have a moment of silence. Pray about those things silently and then I'll pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. That you're still working. You're still playing your tune. You're still calling your sheep to yourself, your people to yourself. We thank you that we can, through your spirit, be a part of that. It's exciting to see you working. To see you working even through us. We just want to see it more and more, Lord. Give us confidence. Give us your confidence to not flee away from confrontation. To not flee away from the awkwardness, but to dig into it and find you there, Lord. We pray that we would do that in your power, for your glory, because you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.